before we go into the message today, I wanted to just take a moment, a serious moment, um, to just pray for the uh, yet another shooting. We don't, you know, always acknowledge every single shooting. Unfortunately, that's become so commonplace. But there was a big one in L.A. over the weekend um, uh, at a dance club where people were celebrating the Lunar New Year, and there was 10 people uh, shot and killed. So I'd like just to take a moment, and as we're praying for this situation, I want us to be remembering all the other situations in Idaho and in families and different places where there have been some some pretty pretty um, scary and awful um, acts of violence. And we just as God's people, you know, we can't necessarily do anything about it right here, right? But we can pray. Um, we can be people who, who fight for, for justice and good, good things to come into place to prevent these things from happening. And so let's just lift up our hearts right now to pray for our nation and for um, these people uh, in this recent uh, tragedy. Lord God, we just come to you today, Lord, and we are your people, Lord. We, we are far away from L.A., Lord, but we just want to pour out our hearts of prayer for these people, Lord, who um, have passed away, their families, their moms and dads, their kids, their siblings, um, friends. Lord, we just pray for comfort right now, Lord, that you would be the comforter. We're talking about you as the comforter today. I pray you would be the comforter for all of those folks there. Lord, I pray for um, the club owners and the other people who were there, Lord, who have to deal with now the aftermath of this. And so, Lord, I just, we don't know what the motive was or what was happening there. Um, so we just pray for relief, Lord, for peace and for your presence. And we pray that for all the other um, places of violence in our country, Lord. We pray for that you would uh, help us to be people who can who can advocate for for reduction of violence, Lord, in our schools and in our in clubs and in homes, Lord. We uh, we just pray against it in the name of Jesus. It's evil. It's not of you, Lord. So we pray your Holy Spirit would move. And I just pray that today we would be people, Lord, who would bring comfort to those even in our own sphere who might be suffering. Maybe somebody wasn't shot, but maybe there's someone in our own families or in our own communities who's hurting. Lord, help us to be the people of God who, who love and who care, who listen, and who bring the comfort that only comes from you, Lord. And so we thank you, Lord. I pray for the message today and our time together, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come. We pray, Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place and help us, Lord, to hear your voice, Lord, and to listen and to be filled with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I get to talk today about one of my favorite topics, and that is the Holy Spirit. Uh, you may have figured that out. Um, and it was interesting because I was reading uh, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, who's one of my favorite old-timey preachers. He's from the 19th century, so quite a while ago. And he was going on and on in this sermon about how some preachers make too much of the Father at the expense of the Son, and some preachers make too much of the Son at the expense of the Father. But he said, but no one makes too much of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it, it was funny to listen to him say this, that, that, you know, nobody talks about the Holy Spirit, that it's hardly ever mentioned in church. And I was kind of chuckling to myself because I was saying, I can't even remember a Sunday when we haven't invited the Holy Spirit, welcomed the Holy Spirit, prayed to the Holy Spirit in this place. So hallelujah. Thank God for that. Um, but it is true that sometimes, um, and it certainly was true in the 19th century, it's still true today, that sometimes we are reluctant to talk about the Holy Spirit that there's something a little scary about the Holy Spirit. God, the Father, we get him, big dad, king person. You know, we get Jesus, the human, but the Holy Spirit, he's a little scary. Uh, we don't know what he's up to and what he's going to do. And so sometimes we uh, sort of avoid this topic. Francis Chan wrote a great book called Forgotten God. It's all about the Holy Spirit and how he's sometimes forgotten when we talk about God. 
And um, I'm happy to say that, you know, we haven't forgotten the Holy Spirit here, that we are in a tradition that does. But on the other hand, we can also, in, our, in the charismatic tradition of which we're a part, we can sometimes make too much of the Holy Spirit at the expense of the Father and the Son, right? We can always be looking for some kind of Holy Spirit experience. In fact, I've heard people say, you know, I didn't feel anything this morning. So God, you know, there wasn't it wasn't really church if I didn't feel something. If God, if I didn't somehow experience the Holy Spirit in some way that I can tangibly point to. And I want to say to us this morning that that's also nonsense, <laughs> okay? Because any time we come together, God is here, okay? Whether you feel it or not, whether I feel it or not, the Holy Spirit is here. And if we are lifting up the name of Jesus and we are worshiping and praising God in heaven, and if we are speaking the name of Jesus and his salvation over us, and if we're singing out in song and praise to God, and if we're listening to the word and receiving it to ourselves, we're having church. God is here. He's not absent. And so it's really not about us. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some experience for you to have or me to have, but he is a person and he is here for us all the time. And so having said all that, I am glad that we are in a tradition that values and welcomes and invites and teaches on the Holy Spirit. Because if you look at John 14 to 17, Jesus' final discourse in the book of John where he is speaking to his disciples, he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. It's very important to him. This is a key part of our discipleship, of our walk with him, to know who the Holy Spirit is and to walk by the Holy Spirit. That's something he wants for us. And so we're going to be talking about that today. And I'm going to cover the who, the what, the why, and the how. All right? Who, what, why, and how of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll start right now with the who. I want to start with the first statement that Jesus makes in this final discourse about the Holy Spirit. It's John 14, 15 to 18. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit is coming. He has come. Who is this Holy Spirit? The word that's used there that's translated advocate here is parakletos, or paraclete we often call him. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. And this is an interesting Greek word. In fact, if you get out all your Bibles with all your translations, you're going to see that they translate this word differently in almost every translation. So some call them advocate, like the NIV that I just read to you says the advocate. The ESV calls it him a helper. The Revised Standard Edition calls him a counselor. And the good old King James calls him a comforter. So all these different meanings for this one word. Why is this? Because it's a wide word, and all of them encompass who the Holy Spirit is. There's no actual... He, uh, you know, English word that kind of covers this, this concept of the paraclete that we have in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to just talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about advocate. He's certainly an advocate. This is actually kind of the most um, technically accurate translation of this word. It would have been the secular understanding of this word in Greek, and it's actually kind of a legal term. It's like a person, a legal representative or an attorney who, who stands in the gap for you, who pleads your case. He's your advocate. We see a bit of that meaning in 1 John 2, 1, where it says, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we have this, God is an advocate for us, and the Holy Spirit pleads our case like an attorney before God to say, This one is ours. This one is, is, is in Jesus' 
righteousness, and so he can stand before us. You know how when, if you have a lot of money and you do something wrong, you can hire a really good attorney, the big attorney, and they can usually get you off? Well, guess what? You got the big attorney. <laughs> you got the big money, all right? And the advocate is the best attorney that you could have, that he is sta- you can stand with confidence before the throne of God and know that the Holy Spirit is there advocating for you, saying this one is in Christ, covered by the blood of Jesus, and can be here <laughs> and can be in relationship with you. That is the advocate. He's, he's pulling for you. He's pleading for you. And what I love about this is legal issues aside, he's on your side. He's on your side. He's rooting for you. I think we sometimes get to the idea that somehow we're in an opposition to God, right? God wants this stuff for us, and we want to do this. Or, or somehow he's kind of trying to trip us up, make stuff hard for us so that we kind of have to prove ourselves. He's on the opposite side of us, but that's not true at all. God is on your side. God is for you. God has good things for you. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit. So that leads us to the second meaning of this word, the comforter or helper. That's one who literally comes alongside, who gives strength and help when we are in need. And it reminds us a little bit of what we talked about last week. If you'll remember, if you were here, that Jesus, we talked about Jesus wanting to come and make his home in us, to be with us all the time, that his presence wouldn't leave us. Even though he was physically leaving the disciples, he was going to be with us and how through the Holy Spirit. And so this is the mechanism by which God was going to be with us through the Holy Spirit, which would fill us and fill our hearts. See, God is not restricted by time and space, but we are, right? So if Jesus had stayed on earth, much as we would have loved that, right, to be able to see him face to face, you probably wouldn't have been able to see him because you're never going to get over to Jerusalem, right? So, so he w- could only see and be with a few people, but by the Holy Spirit, he can come now and indwell every one of us. And so we have the presence of God, the presence of Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit, and he can indwell us. Anyone can invite the Holy Spirit into their hearts, and he will indwell you. I love Jesus' words here in John 14, 17, 18. For he, the Holy Spirit, lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So see, this is how Jesus comes to you, by his Holy Spirit. That's how he is present to you. What a comfort. He's alongside of you no matter what. The psalmist says, where can I go to flee your presence? He's always here. He's always with you in the high times and in the low times and the tough times and in the easy times. He walks with you. He never leaves you. Comforter. Now let's talk about the counselor. This is other meaning of this word, parakletos, counselor. John 14, 26 says, but the advocate or counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. And will remind you of everything I have said. So the counselor is a guide, one with wisdom and teaching to bring to you and to me all the time in our daily life. He's right there to give us guidance, counsel, support, how to live Jesus' way. We're gonna, it's gonna, he's going to remind us of Jesus' words. I had a friend who went through a, a terrible divorce a number of years ago, and, you know, she was just shattered by this whole thing. She had, um, it was unexpected, and then she had, a, you know, a very young child plus a teenager to take care of. She had to go back to work. She hadn't worked in years. She had to go back to work, find work. She had to figure out their housing, and it was, it was just a mess. And she said the Lord gave her the verse from James, which we studied, you know, a little bit ago. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 
And I can still to this day hear her voice. We prayed a lot together. I can hear her praying and praying, oh, Lord, just give me wisdom. I just need your wisdom because she had so many decisions to make and that were so hard for her and so outside of her normal comfort zone. She kept saying, Lord, give me wisdom. I need your wisdom. And you know what? God gave her wisdom every time. <laughs> like she, that would be the testimony of her life. If she was standing here, she'd say, every time I asked God for wisdom, he gave it. And he led me in the way that would be good for my family and for me and for what I needed. See, the Holy Spirit is always there to give us wisdom, to counsel you and how to deal with your money and how to take care of your kids and how to make your marriage better and how to deal with, you know, your career and what to do there. Even, even when you're at work and you've got a meeting coming up and the boss wants this and that and you're not quite sure what to say, you can ask for wisdom. And God will give you wisdom. Even in that secular context, God is there to give you wisdom. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so I just want to say the obvious thing here, which maybe isn't so obvious, ask him. <laughs> ask him. How much do we forget that? We get going into work. We get going into things. I'm just going to figure it out myself. Get on the computer, search, search, do Google searches, figure it out. I've got to figure out what i got to do. Ask the Holy Spirit <laughs> first. <laughs> Go to him first. got to remind myself of that, man. I always am trying to figure it all out. When we stop and listen, the Holy Spirit speaks, and he gives us wisdom. And that's even true when we're about to do something unwise <laughs> or, you know, something that's not good for us, that's not what God would want, that's maybe sinful, that's something. And when we are in Christ, and if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, you know that when you try to do that thing, all of a sudden you don't feel so good. <laughs> because your stomach starts to churn, because the Holy Spirit creates a holy unrest in you. When we are filled with the Spirit and we're about to do something that's not so smart, he will speak to you. He will speak to you and say, hold up, hold up. How about we think about that one one more time? So we can ask the Holy Spirit. He is our counselor. The best counselor we have is right here within us. Amen. So the last thing I want to say about this, this part of the passage, about the parakletos, is that in verse 16, there's a little verse that, that we might have missed, or a little passage. It says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And it's easy to miss that he says, another advocate. So it means there already was an advocate. <laughs> and who is that other parakletos? Of course, it's Jesus. It's in the context of him saying, I'm leaving, and, but I'm going to send you another, another, another paraclete. Because that means Jesus is also the paraclete, right? He's the comforter and the counselor and the advocate and, and the helper. That's who Jesus is. See, we're talking about God, the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one. They are, they are the same in character and likeness and, and, in, and in desire for us. And so everything you see in Jesus, you can receive through the Holy Spirit. They're, it's all together. So I just I love that. So that's the who, the parakletos, the counselor, the comforter, the, the guide, um, the advocate. But now we have a question, the what. What is the nature of this Holy Spirit? What, what does he do? Uh, what is he like? What words does Jesus use to describe him? And what I found striking as I went through this is so many times Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. Let's read this, uh, this one we've already read. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He says it again in John 15. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And again in John 16. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, 
he will guide you into all the truth. So interesting, right? That the, the nature of the Holy Spirit is that he's the truth. He is the truth. Um, he testifies about the truth. He guides us into the truth. He's, he bears witness to the truth. He is the truth. And um, what's very interesting as well is if you look at in those passages, um, for example, uh, after John 14, 16, when Jesus says the Father is sending the Spirit of truth, then right after that, verse 17, he says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And so over and over again, we, we see we shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't recognize the spirit of truth. Because see, the spirit of truth points to Jesus. And if the world doesn't recognize Jesus, they're not going to recognize the truth. Um, and so it's interesting that in these passages, and we can't read through them all, but if you go in and start reading 14 to 16, you'll see that at the same breath almost that he's talking about the spirit of truth, he's telling the disciples, you're going to struggle in the world. The world's going to be against you in some of this. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to throw you out of the sand, out of the courts. They're going to, you know, some of you will even be killed. So, th so it's going to be hard to be in the world when the spirit of truth is within you because the world doesn't always recognize the truth. And, uh, you know, I was kind of wrestling with this a little bit, thinking, you know, because we, we, we struggle sometimes with right? how to interact with the world, right? We want to love people, but, but yet we have, have the truth. And so two things to me uh, came out from these, this set of passages. The first is that the Holy Spirit of truth always points to Jesus. That's what he does. He doesn't point to other stuff, other issues. He just points to Jesus. And it makes sense because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if the Spirit of is the Spirit of truth, he's going to point to the truth, which is Jesus, right? So it makes sense that he's going to point to Jesus. And so this has some implications for us, okay? If you are, for example, thinking that you are hearing from the Holy Spirit about something you're going to say or do out in the world, out in your workplace, your family, whatever, and it doesn't honor Jesus, doesn't lift up Jesus, isn't the kind of thing that Jesus would do or say, then it's probably not from the Holy Spirit, does that make sense? So what a way to kind of think about when we are interacting with people in the church, but also in the world. Is it like Jesus? Is what I'm doing like Jesus? Is what I'm saying like Jesus? Because it's always going to point to Jesus. We're always going to point to Jesus, not to other things, other issues, other problems. It should point to Jesus. Additionally, and perhaps even more importantly, if you're listening to some preacher or teacher on the, on the computer, on YouTube, on whatever, and they're not pointing to Jesus, but instead they're pointing to the world or they're pointing to some political candidate or leader or a political solution. Or if they're pointing to signs and wonders and wonderful things happening and, and prophecies and signs and things to come. If they're pointing to all of that, if they're pointing to the fact that if you give money to their ministry, you're going to be blessed. They're pointing to themselves or their church or their ministry and their success. I tell you, turn off the podcast. Okay, turn it off and move to something else, because they are not speaking from the Holy Spirit. The whole, no matter how winsome and good-looking and smart they seem to be, they're not speaking from the Holy Spirit if they are not always pointing you back to Jesus. It's a wonderful way to test. Test the teachings. Test the prophets. Test me. Always pointing back to Jesus. Amen? Everything we do in our lives, in our church, our teaching, should be pointers to Jesus, how he loves us and loves others, how he wants us to be in unity and in relationship with others and with each other, how much he gave for each one of us, how he's currently exalted on the throne, all of that is about Jesus. 
And that's, that's our focus. That's what we're about. So that's the first thing, that the Holy Spirit of truth is always going to point back to Jesus. But the second thing is it's worth pointing out that God is very clear that the world is wrong about sin. He makes that very clear in this passage and is wrong about Jesus. Um, John 16, starting in verse 2, it says, They will put you out of the synagogue. This is Jesus' words. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And it could feel sometimes like we're in a losing battle in the world, that there's so much secularism rising up, that it seems like Christianity is fading or waning or something, uh, and it's even worse up north, trust me, it feels like we're back in church land when I come down south. But, but honestly, I want to remind you, no matter what, um, Jesus is on the throne, <laughs> okay? We know the end of the story, right? No matter how much people in the world are for or against Jesus, how much the church may wax and wane and get bigger and get smaller over the years, over the centuries, Jesus is still the Son of God who died for our sins. He's still reigning on the throne in heaven, and the end of time, he's going to come and bring back his own to himself, okay? We know that, amen? So, we don't have to worry about that. A lot of about the church may change and modify and adjust as the culture shifts, and, and that's all good. A lot of that is real good, but the, but the truth of Jesus will always be the same. It will always be the same. We can hold on to that. And if the world doesn't receive that, then it does say the Spirit will prove the world to be wrong about sin. Now, a few of us really like the sound of that because we like being right when other people are wrong, right? We kind of like the feeling of that, <laughs> that I got the truth and you don't got the truth. And, and it kind of feeds a little bit of our pride. Um, and, and unfortunately, we might be tempted as Christians to use that as a bit of a weapon. You got to know the truth. You got to know the truth. You know, you're on the wrong. You got to know the truth. I, you know, I used to live in New York. And so if every time I would go down to New York City, there would always be somebody on the street corner shouting at people about how they're going to hell. Just shouting and shouting and shouting at them. And, you know, I would always wonder, does anyone really come to Jesus because someone shouts at them? Like, does that happen? <laughs> I can't even imagine that. It's like a weapon to, um, to hear the people just trying to go to dinner or trying to come off of work, and they're getting assaulted by this voice of just shouting at them about going to hell. I don't think that's the way the Holy Spirit works. I don't think that's how he draws us. And there's a big mistake that we make when we, when we begin to go down that road. It's we, we've forgotten that the passage says the Spirit will prove the world to be wrong. The Spirit. Who's going to prove the world to be wrong? Are you going to prove the world to be wrong? Nope. In fact, you, you, you'll fail if you try, actually, um, because the world's pretty strong. But it's the Spirit who will prove the world to be wrong. Not you and me. We don't need to prove anything. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. What, what are we meant to do? Jesus gives us this in verse 27. He says, and you also must testify because you've been with me from the beginning. So we're meant to testify about what Jesus has done for us. That's it. We don't need to prove anything to anybody. We don't need to convince anybody. We just need to say, this is what Jesus did for me. This is how he changed my life. And we should... You know, here's the thing. I think often as Christians, we're embarrassed and ashamed to do that. We're a little shy about it, right? Never be shy to tell what Jesus did in your life. 
Okay, that is your story. That is how Jesus has changed you. And we need to be free to say, yeah, you know, I was, I was really lost, and Jesus found me, and I, I wasn't even looking for him, and he came anyway, and wow, he loves me. And I'm in a relationship with him. I, I actually get to walk with Jesus. That is your testimony. And you should be proud of that testimony. And we should, we should offer it freely, uh, you know, when it, when it comes up. And we're not attacking people with it again. But we are just, we are sharing. We're testifying to who God is and what he's done in my life with humility. With, with the thought that it, I didn't deserve this. But God came to me anyway. Amen. So it's interesting that what I think Jesus is doing in this passage is showing us what the real problem with the world is. The problem with the world isn't necessarily their sin and, and all the sexual immorality and all the drugs and all the lying and the cheating and all that. stuff. That's really not the problem. He says here the problem is they don't know him. John 15, 21, he says, they're going to treat you this way because of my name. Why? For they don't know the one who sent me. They don't know him. John 16, 3, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. See, that's your testimony. You can know Jesus. We can know the Father because he wants to indwell us by his Spirit. See, we're back to the Holy Spirit again. We can know the Father. We can know God. This is why people reject the faith, because they just don't know. And so this should, I hope, in all of us, first of all, give us some compassion and gentleness toward folks who haven't found Jesus yet, who don't understand what we're talking about when we talk about God. That's why the Spirit of truth and we need to keep pointing back to Jesus. We can know Jesus. He's right here. He loves you. He, can, he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to make his home with you. He wants to love you and to, and to advocate for you and be on your side. What, what an incredible message we have, church, of Jesus. And I want to leave you on this point with this thought. How winsome would the church be? How attractive our faith if we are filled with the Holy Spirit and full of gentleness and compassion if we testified freely about what Jesus has done in our lives and then simply showed people how to get to know Jesus a little bit more. Can I say that again? I want to say that again. How winsome would the church be? How attractive our faith? If we were filled with the Holy Spirit, full of gentleness and compassion, if we testified freely about what Jesus has done in our lives and then simply showed people how to get to know Jesus a bit more. Hallelujah. That's, that's our job. Amen. Let's go to the why. Why did the Spirit come? Why are we, why does Jesus send his Spirit? And he makes it very clear, of course, it's so that he would be present with us. This is how Jesus is going to be present with us. But there's another reason, and it's in a little verse that most people find very perplexing. John 14, 12, he says, Truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Did you know you're going to do even greater things than Jesus? <laughs> do you believe that? <laughs> you're like, no. Maybe, maybe, maybe Paul's going to do greater things than Jesus, but not me. I mean, who's going to do greater things than Jesus? What in the world is he talking about here? And um, this is actually interesting because this, is, this reminded me of one of the very first teachings I ever gave on the Holy Spirit. It was back in my 20s, a long time ago. Uh, and, and, uh, and, the way I taught this was that I said to them, okay, so if we're going to do greater works than Jesus, then what are the works that Jesus did? Don't put the slide up yet, Lisa. okay, hold on the slide. Um, what are some of the works that Jesus does? And I had the people call them out. So I want you to just call out, just one word. What were some things that Jesus did? Call them out, nice and loud. 
Healing. What else? Raise the dead. What else? Feeding. Final storm. What else? Say again. Miracles. Do you do any teaching? You did a little teaching, right? What else? Anything else? Made friends with people. Listened. Accepted. What? Hugged people. <laughs> That's right. Cared for people. Touched the leper. He died. He sacrificed himself for us. Some water to wine. Reached out to women. Yeah. Raised Lazarus from the dead. So I took all those words that people said, and you said most of them, and I put them on a little slide. Let me show you. I wrote them up at the, when I was doing it. So these are some of the things that he did, right? Healing and miracles, leading, building. Forget that. He was a carpenter, so he built stuff with his hands. I love that. Caring and encouraging. Praying. He prayed a lot for people, prayed for himself. Teaching. He confronted. We, didn't, we missed that one. Confronting. Knowing things. He had words and knowledge about people he knew. <laughs> um, speaking. Sacrificing. And then I said, okay, let's put some titles over these things that Jesus did. So you can go to the next slide. Healing and miracles, leadership, craftsmanship, pastor, mercy, encouragement, faith, intercession, service, knowledge, wisdom, teaching, prophecy. Anybody recognize what those words are? They're the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. How cool is that? What does that mean? That means... That the way Jesus is going to empower you and me to do the works he did and even greater things is by his spirit. Did you really think you were going to do it on your own? <laughs> no. No, it's by his spirit, by the actual gifts that he gives you, and he gives everyone a spiritual gift. Those gifts he's going to use in you to do things beyond what you are humanly capable of. That's the idea behind a spiritual gift. It takes what may be an, even a natural inclination of yours, but it empowers it. It makes it stronger, and that's how we're going to do the things that Jesus did. I just think that is so cool. Um, that's why we have spiritual gifts class, by the way. This was great timing. We're having spiritual gifts class after the service today. Don't you want to know what your spiritual gift is? Not just for self-knowledge. Oh, yeah, it's very interesting to know about myself. No, because Jesus wants to empower you to do the things that he did and even greater things. And he can only do it if you are walking in the Spirit, walking in the spiritual gifts that he has given you by his Holy Spirit. Amen? I just think that's amazing. These gifts are given to you and me. And, he, and for the things he's now giving us, pouring out spiritual gifts on us through his Spirit that he sent, and that Spirit indwells you that you and I would do the things that he did. That's what he did. So I, I love this about Jesus. I love that he is willing to give away his power, in a sense, to you and me. Um, you know, what a risk he takes, doesn't he? To put his spiritual power and gifting in you and me. <laughs> Let's use it with, um, with respect and with feel the honor, the privilege that it is to walk in Jesus' spirit and in his gifting. So we've discovered who is the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, our comforter, helper, counselor, and advocate. We've discovered what, what, um, what his nature is, that he is the spirit of truth who points to Jesus in everything and will convict the world of sin. We've seen that he fills us in part so that we can walk in his presence and walk in his power and do works for him and in the world and in the church for his glory, by his spirit, through the spiritual gifts. And so the last question is, this sounds great, how? 
how do we receive the Spirit? How do we walk in the Holy Spirit of God? And that's really the question. And I, I, I had to get ahead of myself in John here, but I had to go ahead to John 20, the very end of the book, almost the end. And where it says this in John 20, verses 21 and 22, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Simple as that. Not a lot of statements you got to sign on the dotted line. Not a lot of stuff you got to do to deserve it. Receive it. Breathe on it. Holy Spirit is available to every one of us. All we need to do is to believe and receive. This whole book has been about that you might believe in Jesus all of Jesus' signs, all that he did, all of his teaching, is so we believe that he's the Son of God. And so all we need to do is to believe. We can't get anywhere in the Spirit without faith. <laughs> we do have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, listen, that doesn't mean you've got to have it all figured out. You don't have all your questions answered and know every verse in the Bible, what it means, and all, you know, understand how it all works together. No, we simply have to be able to look up to heaven and say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God and you died for me. <laughs> That's it. We believe. And we become a child of God, and then he breathes the Holy Spirit. And so the second part of that is to receive it. Because you could imagine breathing on a closed door, and the breath wouldn't come in, would it? We get to open up the door of our hearts to Jesus. And we get to allow him to come in, to open up our hearts to him. And, you know, it could be that a few of you are like my good old friend Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century that think, I don't know about the Holy Spirit. It's a little scary. I'll take Jesus in my heart, but I don't know about the Spirit. And I hope that today this teaching has in part taken away some of that fear because the Holy Spirit's a person. He's not some ex weird experience. He's not something that happens. He is a person who wants to come and dwell in you. That's it. And when he comes and dwells in you, you have the counselor and the comforter and the advocate and the helper there in you. It's all good things that he wants to bring to us, all good things. There's nothing bad about it. <laughs> it's all good that what the, what the Holy Spirit does when he comes and fills a person. And so we ask you, Lord, do it. Who wouldn't want to experience that? In our Alpha class last semester, one of the weekends, one of the weekend um, teachings is on the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we did was to, uh, at, at the end of this sort of teaching on it, we got into a circle. We're only like eight people in the group, right? So we got in a circle and asked anybody who wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just simply to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to come sit in the middle, and we would pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it was nothing, not going to be a long prayer. It was just going to be short, Lord, fill this person with the Holy Spirit. Um, and it was interesting because we had people on all kinds of spots in their spiritual journey in this group, old Christians, young Christians, everything in between. And um, everyone wanted to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? You don't have to be a new believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As you know, if you walk with Jesus a long time, we're pretty leaky. <laughs> it leaks out. <laughs> I need some more filling because it's leaked out. Um, and there's never any end to it. God can keep filling you and keep filling you. We always can have more and more and more. And so we got this opportunity. And, and I got to tell you that every single person received something from the Lord that day. Felt something or just heard something or just his presence was there. Every single person. And so the Lord kind of impressed on me this week. He said, give, give the church this opportunity. Give the body this opportunity to simply be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And so I'm going to ask the, the team and also the prayer teams to just kind of come up. And what we're going to do, and we're going to make this very simple. This is, we're, you know, we are naturally supernatural here. We don't have to work anything up. We d- I want to invite you to come forward and simply to be prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you've been prayed for a million times and you're just overflowing with the Spirit. I bet you you could have a little more uh, in there. And so come in. If you've never been filled with the Spirit and you don't even know what this is like, I invite you, just come forward. And it's only good things that God will bring to you, only good things. They're going to pray a very, very short prayer for you. I actually see this more, almost like the communion lines, right, that we just come up. It's going to be a short prayer. They're going to pray over you. You just, the only requirement is that you come receptive. Believe and receive. Receive from God. And then after you've been prayed for, and it will be a brief prayer, um, you're welcome. If God is kind of stirring in your heart or you just feel good being with Jesus or whatever, you can kneel at the altar, you can sit on the, the rug. You don't have to get back to your seat um, for a little bit. We're going to have the band just playing, um, and it's an opportunity for you to be filled with the Spirit. We, Every one of us needs the Spirit of God. I'm going to be first in line because I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. I need more and more and more. And I pray for every one of us that we would be invited. And look at this. He can't even wait. He can't even wait. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Lord Jesus, we invite you. Holy Spirit, come. I invite you to stand and come.